1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're going to be talking with a prison cheerleader. You've never heard of a prison cheerleader? Well, that's because you've never heard of well, perhaps you've heard of her, but you never realized this part of what she does or did, Arlene Peck. She is the author of a new book called Prison Cheerleader, How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. When Arlene is not stirring up trouble in prisons, she's an internationally syndicated columnist and TV talk show host. But today we're going to be talking about a part of her life that... um <laughs> She tucked away until she decided to bring it out in a book. And, um, boy, Arlene, I must say, I, I'm I very impressed that you, um, I didn't really know, I mean, you've mentioned, uh, you know, over the years that we've known each other, you've mentioned from time to time, not that many years, actually, but you've mentioned, oh, I have this book, I used to do this in the prisons in Atlanta, and, you know, I don't know, <laughs> should I do something with it? And... <laughs> I didn't realize just what a bomb you had tucked away in your draw. And um, you really are to be commended for having been such a prison activist, uh, which is one part, you know, I've I've known you as the syndicated columnist and talk show host, mostly uh, either dealing with Israeli issues, Jewish issues, or um, celebrities. And, yes, this was, in a sense, you know, a Jewish issue, which I'm sure you'll explain, but really it was much larger than that. It had to do with um, trying to work for uh, the the welfare of prisoners, regardless of what their religion was. So welcome to the show, and why don't you tell us when you... One of the things that I was uh, amazed about um, in in the book was how detailed it was. So my first question is, when did well give us a background of what you did um maybe we should start there how you got involved in the prisons to begin with and then when it was that you actually were writing this book because it 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 had to have been um somewhat parallel to concomitant with when this was actually going on, there were just too many incredible details in it.
3: I, I wrote it as it was going on, but for, first I have to give uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman credit for the title. Okay. I, we've been friends and uh, you know uh, colleagues and whatever you want to call. It. We've been very good friends for years. And I was telling you the title of this book, and you said, "Oh no, no, no," you know, and you came up with, "How about Prison Cheerleader, how a nice Jewish girl went wrong doing right?" <laughs> I said, "That is great." So I have to give Dr. Carol Lieberman, because I I forgot when the book came out to put it on the cover, which well, is in the back of my cover, come to think of it. You gave a uh, review, yes, along with some other very, very, uh, you know.
2: Yes, uh, let me mention some of these distinguished people. Dr. Harvey Kushner, who um, is a conservative commentator and best-selling author. He wrote numerous books, including the Encyclopedia of Terrorism, Holy War on the Home Front, Jenkins Jack Engelhard, the author of *Indecent Proposal*, and Brigitte Gabrielle, the author of *Because They Hate and They Must Be Stopped*. So, um, and and I read a review of the book recently that uh, that really uh, praised it a lot. So let's start with how how you wound up how a nice Jewish girl wound up. If if anybody was ever not
3: a candidate for getting involved in a prison program, it probably would have been me. Because in those days, I was a pot roast. I said that was before I discovered I was Chateaubriand. Yes, I was. And my ex husband uh, was a master of the Masons. This is in Atlanta, or oh, we are going back a hundred years ago. And uh, he was invited to go to the prison by the Bureau of Jewish Education. No, well, let me just is, clarify
2: something. He w- he, w- he was still your husband at the time. Oh, right, right. And, no, and you were married that. and you had three children at this time, right? Still How- do.
3: Still, ha- still do have three children. My <laughs> husband's already had a couple more wives. <laughs> yes, then, <they> but.
2: <laughs> no, but, okay, this was in the 1970s.
3: Yes. And
2: um, at the time that you first walked into the Atlanta Penitentiary, Penitentiary.
3: <laughs> well, when I went in there, it was—I had no intention of getting involved. I mean, I—but I, I, I'm from Atlanta, and there's this great big building, you know, way at the end of one of the, you know, the the streets there, and it was like so forbidding, and it was like I always wanted to go in there because it was like, what's going? It was just curiosity, like everybody else. And it's the uh, maximum security prison. It's not some little, you know, it was the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. It's one of the big three. So uh, when he was invited to go in to speak for the Masons, for the uh, you know Jewish discussion group, I'm like, they have Jewish people in there. Oh my God! So I, I begged him, please let me. I want to go with you. I'll just sit quiet. He said, you've never been quiet in your life, and I've I tried. But I went in there and I saw that these men really were so hungry for, and there were only about seven out of twenty eight hundred. Does that give you a clue? Seven. That, after I got in there I used to tell them I said that you're probably products of mixed marriages because Jewish people just don't do this. But uh, they were in there and they were you know but my group started to grow. And I saw well, well, wait, how either getting wait, in there those something ahead. Um Yeah, the the head of the Bureau of Jewish education when I called up, I said is there a possibility I can go out there again and, uh, you know, just something kind of clicked. I said, you know, like, these people, and this is the, the Jewish inmates, you know, were saying how much they needed a program and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I figured, man, let's see what I can do. And the next thing I knew, they made me, and it was it was the amazing thing was, they made me, you know, the head of this, this uh, program. But they had never had, I, I was the only, as far as I know since, I don't know, but the head of a uh, uh, discussion group in a male institution, you know, a a federal penitentiary. They'd never had a female-run discussion group in a a male penitentiary. And the next thing, here I am, you know, running this discussion group, and I'm like, oh, what do I do? So I've never been, I've always been a little bit offbeat anyhow. And so I said, well, I'm going to bring in an interesting group. And I started to book people that were, you know, and I happen to know a lot of people. And so I I would bring in people just from, you know, diverse authors and, and, I mean, I even got congressmen and people, you know, interested. And this, this is really what the prison didn't want. But I didn't know this. At that time, they had a lot of corruption going on. We're going back a lot of years, you know, to Atlanta Penitentiary. And so, well, they had murders and things that were starting. But the time I, because of my program, I, I ended up going there about six years every Wednesday until I got, uh, <laughs> barred from the prison other people couldn't get out I couldn't get in mm-hmm. but uh, that, that's another you know, that's another story I'm going ahead again but so okay so but I,
2: I'm just trying to give this uh, sort of the um, the contrast well, it between in the life, life that the guys you were living before you actually you know volunteered to lead this program tell us a little bit about that what what were you what were you, what was your life like before you walked into the prison
3: well when I said pot rose that, that, that just about summed it up I mean I was President of, you know, a lot of you know, organizations, Hadassahs, uh, uh, you know, B'le Brith things. I mean, I was involved in a lot of mostly Israeli, uh, you know, Jewish or synagogue oriented type things. And, uh, I, you know, my, my, I was, I was a carpool mom. I was, you know, my, my, my life was wrapped around the kids and the carpools and, and the sports and things like that. And, and how I, old
2: were your children at that time? They, pardon? How old were your children at that time?
3: Oh, they were little. They were, you know, I know, eight, nine, ten, seven, eight, nine, something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, and what did they think about their mother going into the prison?
3: <laughs> well, they thought you. Know, they sit there. They, they thought it was natural that that you know I had yard men that were bank robbers. <laughs> or if they got out, I, I gave you know, I gave several you know like various kind of jobs. I mean, you know, where they sit there and say. You know, Molly, I don't think my friends, you know, have, have, uh, bank robbers as the yard man or a handyman, or whatever, you know, and, uh, uh, what really, what really was, was when it hit me was when we went to Washington and went to the FBI, you know, building there. And my kids they were walking around, you know, how the FBI gives you the tour and everything and we're walking around and all of a sudden my kids, you know, they they would send me out paintings and I mean you know they were bad paintings, but you know, they they, they tried. And so uh they, they they uh You're talking about the prisoners now. Yeah, they yeah out that's the right. paintings, yes. and, and so um, the kids are walking around the FBI building, you know, looking at the tour and everything and all of a sudden one comes goes out Mommy looked or daddy looked. Mommy's friend Bobby Wilcox is on the wall <laughs> <they> sort of <laughs> sent me mail. And he was he was in there as one of the most famous bank robbers of all time. So it sort of uh, you know, gave a gave a little spike. But when I got in there, you know, it was really interesting because I mean, besides having a captive audience, uh, I started having really interesting Things come up. You know, we're, the men in my group were not like, uh, you know, some guy that went into a convenience store or something. This is, you know, this is the cream of the crop, I guess you'd say, of, of the, uh, federal inmates. And I had, uh, you know, beside that Bobby Wilcox, and I had the guy that murdered the Boston Strangler, uh, you know, I had the, the top, the top inmates, you know, uh, the Porn King, uh, Mike Thieves, uh, the French Connection, if any of you are old enough to remember that. There were so many uh stories that you know stories that they started to tell me, and uh I don't know when I started to write it, but I figured you know one of these days, maybe if I'm not around, my kids will you know want to know what their mom was doing in those years well
2: and that's why you, you now how how long had you been um doing this discussion group before you decided to start writing this down?
3: Oh, maybe, maybe three, four years, hmm. five years. I, I was really, I I went back from memory really. I was kind of, but, but no, I did. I, I, I started to write it down and uh, I take little notes.
2: Uh huh.
3: And, uh, you know, I wrote down little notes that one day, you know how you, you, you know, and I kind of noticed, oh my god, I filled the tablet up. <laughs> uh huh. And then the next thing, uh, they start to have murders in the, in the prison.
2: Well, wait, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that because then, I mean, <laughs> one of the things, though, you said something that I wanted to, to sort of highlight, and that is one of the things that amazed me is peppered through this book as you're talking about all of these different colorful characters, and, of course, one advantage you had was that even though you started it three or four years into it, these men, for the most part, were still there, <laughs> or else you were still friends with them on the outside. But, um... But what was really amazing was how you would sort of nonchalantly mention that you had this when they got out or when they had a day that you... Um, arrange for them to be out of the prison or whatever. Oh, that was that kind of a They never home. had a day-out
3: program at the federal prison, and I yeah. got three of them out. <laughs> yeah. I, I,
2: but I mean how you just sort of nonchalantly mentioned that they came to your house, and you'd be serving dinner to that one or lunch to that one, as if, of course, why wouldn't you have these murderers <laughs> and, uh, and top criminals in your house? Um, all right, well, we'll have You're to talk to you. You're a woman
3: who covered a, a, a couple wars in Gaza.
2: Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, you know,
3: I swear, but I'm just saying, so this was nothing. <laughs> I mean, with the other things, I, I got picked up at the KGB in Russia. Okay, well we're we'll get to that in prayer books. I mean, you know, this, what, i, I, I kind of like scary things.
2: <laughs> All right, Arlene, we will come back. My guest right. is Arlene Peck. She's the author of the new book *Prison Cheerleader: How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right*. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's one 472 5787
5: Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
0: Stimulating
4: talk gets those synapses in your brain really bad. all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts,
0: VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Arlene Peck, who is was <laughs> a prison cheerleader and actually now with the publication of her new book, Prison Cheerleader, How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. Uh, I have a feeling, Arlene, that you're going to be uh, called upon again to uh, comment on prison issues. Um, but we were, before, in the first portion of our show, we've been talking about how you, uh, sort of wound up in, um, the maximum security prison in Atlanta, being sort of, I guess, a soccer mom of the day. <laughs> and, um, and following, it's so interesting because, um, you know, here you go following your husband. Uh, now ex husband, into this prison where he's giving the talk, and then you become the, uh, leader of this, of the Wednesday night Jewish discussion groups coming in every Wednesday night for about six years. Um, I'm sure your husband was, uh, uh, was not happy that somehow you sort of usurped his, <laughs> You know, he was the big cheese, or so he would like to have thought in those days. And all of a sudden, you became the head of this group, going in every week when he was the speaker for one week.
3: Well, you you kind of hit it on the head, but then it was uh, my writing started to you know explode, and I wrote little columns in the national, you know, a little local paper. And the next thing, I went national, and then syndicated and. And, uh, you know, all these things kind of fell into my lap, which did not make for a happy camper at home. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yes, and I'm uh, sure
2: he probably had some thoughts about you bringing home the inmates, too.
3: Uh, well, yeah, they didn't stay over the house. <laughs> However, uh, there were times when uh, I really thought there were a couple I can think of. And well, I won- didn't
2: mean staying over as in, as in uh, well, no, I, we did, a sleepover. But, I mean, you, you know, you talk about having but, these people when they, get, when they got out. Uh, well, during their their day that you'll talk about, but also when they got out, you know, I was mentioning before coming over for lunch and dinner. I'm sure. Well, what did he think about that?
3: Well, he was never there when I was there, you know, so it was kind of it worked out. That worked out, <laughs> but 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 what was so hmm. what was so uh, concerning on two different levels was one uh, the children of these inmates, and I'm talking some of the grown children, and and I mm-hmm. uh, had a couple. I had one guy in there, he was uh, in the French Connect one of the French Connection guys, I believe, Louis Nash. And he was uh, uh, very hurt because he had a son that wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, talking to him. And, and, you know, a lot of times children, uh, you know, they're embarrassed of the parent and they won't, you know, they won't, you know, be in contact with him or anything. And I, you know, I, if if I thought they deserved it, you know, I would... I, you know, I called up and I said, "This is your father. Damn it! You get you know, you get your butt up here." He was living in Florida or something at the time, and I said, "You get your butt up here and you talk to that man and you go visit him." You know, he's, he's old. God knows when you'll see him again. And sometimes I shame them into you know into doing it. But what was good was I saw a lot of relationships that got reconnected. Mm. You, you know, because all they needed was somebody to give them a push.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and this is like the prison cheerleader. You were you were sort of their <laughs> cheerleader, their den mother, their well. And then
3: you became. Some, but the then thing is, I well, they you know the the really weird thing about this whole thing is, that I used to tell them, I used to say, as far as I'm concerned, most of you guys, ninety nine point nine percent of you, should be put under the jail. Hmm. You know, not in it, but but under it, because they were bad guys. I mean, these were not you know you your good guys. But there was one thing I thought they would is they 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 were entitled to, and that was religion. Hmm. you know if nothing else, they're entitled to religion and I didn't care which one it was, but they were entitled to religion and so uh and that's when they had Chuck Colson was going in there you know with the um uh, you know Christian group and you know various things like that so uh i I thought very strongly about that and then and then also um uh I don't know. I just, I just felt that that uh, I didn't realize it. But they had, you know, since there were only seven Jewish inmates at, at that time, I think it finally grew to eight or nine over a period of time. But uh, you know, since there were so few out of twenty eight hundred, it didn't justify having a resident rabbi. They told me.
0: Hmm.
3: Okay, so we went in uh, via an anti-Semitic priest that I had. <laughs> And I inherited this anti-Semitic priest, which I wrote about, you know, extensively. I think in the book some. And uh, you know, you had mentioned what what kind of got me on the bad side. Well,
2: well, wait before we. I just want to say um, that even though there were seven or eight uh, Jewish prisoners, and this was a Jewish discussion group where I guess the guests um, oh, were Jewish leaders and were and and talked. You talked about different Jewish topics of the day, not 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 the Torah, I presume. But like about different issues of the day. That oh had... no, we
3: didn't talk about it. you. Know, it wasn't that. That's what you know. I That know was interesting things. You know what was going on in the world. Like we talked about. I brought in everybody from. Uh, I you give a good successful cocktail party. You know, you have a, you have a, you know, some some Barbie dolls, and you throw in some some uh, senators and congressmen and and authors and and you know. Everybody were real estate uh, developers. They were boring. <laughs> and <laughs>
2: and, the, and it grew from, like, 20 or so people at the
3: beginning to 60. But I had and, about 75 in the group. Okay. And it and turned out to be the largest, I think it was the largest, most successful program they had. But I started to get, uh, you know, everybody in there. I had the, uh, you know, because there were only such a small amount of Jewish inmates, I started to get the Christian of you know, the Catholics, uh, the... Um, well, we we didn't know at the time what Muslims were going to later, how that started. But uh, you know the the um, different groups, you know the NAACP, uh, you know all the various groups start to come in.
2: And that's because one, you you brought in these interesting guests, and you put on these interesting programs, and the inmates saw that that you really cared about them and, and when, what was going on in the prison, and so it wasn't it wasn't really so much about what. You know, what religion was sponsoring this? Oh, no, no, no. It was You're about, right, it was, right. It was really that this was an, that your prisoners told you that this was a time when they felt that someone on the outside cared about them.
3: Exactly. And and I tell you, uh, some of them, you know, I sat there and I, I didn't realize how much our tax dollars are wasted. And I'm thinking, you know, they could die in there for a cold, but they got plastic surgery all over the place. I mean, seriously, it was like the stoop, this, the mentality, the way they were spending. And uh, yes, I was, but that's when I, I wasn't that in, there your, yet. in your
2: book. So the reason why they had all these doctors doing plastic surgery was because they were practicing on the prisoners.
3: They were they were the plastic surgeons. Yeah, well, they had well they had you I know mean, they why had, were
2: there plastic surgeons in there?
3: God knows. I mean, the mentality of some of those things that I so you know, they weren't in the prison; they would come in.
2: Right, right. And, and the war I the, that the that war was because just, they were using the prisoners as guinea pigs to practice their plastic surgery on.
3: I, I, who, yeah, possibly. I'm saying, but I do, I do know, I do know that the ward really started to hate me, and it started. I think with in the you know the beginning of the book, I wrote about the case of the missing tomato plants.
2: Yes. Why don't you
3: tell us about that? And and uh, I think I started, chapter one, where when I first went in there, you know, I'm I i do not know. I mean, I've never been in a prison before, so I'm thinking, well, they wouldn't let me bring in plants. <laughs> it was good. I mean, no, I, I'm sorry, they wouldn't let, let them have a pet. So I'm thinking, well, if you can't have a, maybe I could, they could have a plant. So I had a friend that had a big nursery, you know, a, a you know, flower nursery and stuff, and they called up. And I called, I said, do you, you have anything I could bring in there? And they said, well, we've got tomato plants. And I'm thinking, well, that would be nice, they could grow tomatoes. And I called up, and I got the, you know, my, my anti-Semitic priest on the phone, and I said, can I bring in tomatoes, you know, tomato plants? And he okayed it, he said, "Sure, and he even had three of the guards there to help me bring him in because they were I had about seventy five you know tomato plants and trays, Mhm, and you know they're carrying in these trays of tomato plants, and you know I left them there, and uh I get a phone call, and i'm I'm getting ready to pick up carpool, and I mean this warden is shouting you know top of his lungs, you know, Miss Peck, I don't know what you think you're doing." but my office is filled with tomato plants. <laughs> I said, well, I figured you wouldn't let him have a pet. Maybe you'd let him have a plant. <laughs> the next thing I hear, he's gotten rid of me because I am a, um, he, he tried to say I was bringing smuggling in, contraband. And though, you know, I, I've i never, I didn't know what pot was. To me, pot was what you cooked in. <laughs> and and grants was that the yard man came to cut. It was it was strictly, I was totally innocent. I've never tasted it yet. I don't think I'm missing anything. But but uh, he tried to get rid of me, so I had to go all the way back over his head now to the head of the, of the Bureau of Prisons. I think his name was Norman Cole so many years ago. And anyhow, I got myself back in the prison because it was, you know, I, I showed that I wasn't bringing in contraband.
2: Well, and that was just the beginning.
3: Of that was the beginning.
2: That, um, the more successful your Wednesday night discussion group was, um, the more you antagonized the people in the prisons, the uh, the authorities, the people with the power in the prison, because because you were getting too powerful, the men were liking you too much, that you were, you were taking
3: away some of their uh, thunder um, from some of the other groups. What, no, it is in, in, a, in a situation like that. And, again, I'm not a big do-gooder. I never considered myself one anyway, but there's just basic rights that people are entitled to when it comes to, uh, you know, religion and things like that. And, and, and I tell you, I was concerned about the waste of our taxes. Well, when
2: we come back, we will hear about the uh, coup de grace, the final thing, that uh, the final scuffle, or I guess the, the, that finally got you ejected, um, locked out of the prison. My guest is Arlene Peck. She's the author of the new book, Prison Cheerleader, How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll find out more about uh, what got Arlene locked out of
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with prison cheerleader Arlene Peck. She's the author of Prison Cheerleader, How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. And before the break, we were just about to uh, get into the um, final the final thing that Arlene did that really pissed them off. Well, actually, it wasn't the final thing. It was the final thing that got you ejected, but then you went on to do much greater things that pissed them <laughs> off. So why don't you tell us about that, the evening that you were banned?
3: Well, at that point, I started to see so much corruption that had been going on. I mean, like the guards you know, had businesses going on and and the warden, you know, had they had I mean, they had vending machines and things that it was costing thous you know, thirty thousand to thirty five thousand a year in those days. God knows how much it cost to keep these people in. And uh it was it was wrong 'cause it was a waste of it was just so much waste of our taxpayer money and that concerned me too. And so uh I started to have people uh come in, like I invited Julian Bond. I knew Julian and I you know, I'm from Atlanta and so A lot of the politicians that, you know, ended up being pretty famous. In fact, I think Julian at that time, not long after, you know, was a vice presidential nominee. And uh, he was also president of the NAACP. And so I had uh, Julian as a guest, and we went in there. And, you know, all this is written about, you know, in the book. And uh, Julian and I got out there, and they barred Julian. And I said, what do you mean he's barred? And they wouldn't let him in, and there's a picture of us, in fact, you know, standing with the bars behind us. And, um, he was barred because they said he was an activist. Hmm. And, you know, well, what's wrong with that? But anyhow, they, they wouldn't let us, us in because he was an activist. And the warden, who'd been looking for anything to get rid of me, uh, used that as, a, as an excuse. Next thing I got a letter that I had my, I had been bar, you know, banned. My program was still allowed, which is interesting, because I was the chairperson and i still uh you know via via uh letters and things i managed to get you know they cleared you they cleared the people but i still brought in because they you know the guys were really gotten upset if you know several of the guests that i had previously couldn't come in but they, and then they start to have murders. Well,
2: wait, wait. Now, the reason why that they didn't want Julian Bond in was because they thought that if he saw some of the things that were going on, or heard from the guys some of the things
3: that were going on in the prison, that then he would report this. Might have been. You know, I don't even know. I, who, who go know the mentality of this warden at the time? Who, incidentally, I, in the book there, he was later picked up for shoplifting.
2: Yes, I saw that in the article. It's <laughs> a big article <laughs> in the
3: newspaper funny. about, you know, picking up a
2: comb, <laughs> a brush, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the
3: warden of the prison who was picked up for shoplifting, and, and, you know, so who knows, he may have ended up back there with him. Uh, but
2: <laughs> so so this was sort of just that the, they were just looking for a reason to get, to rid, get of rid of you. Of you it. were just getting too powerful. You, the, the, you were no finding out too much, um, and this was sort of the final thing. And so, so when that happened... Tell us what you did.
3: Well, I know one of the things was Jack Anderson who was a big you know, he was a big reporter and had, you know had a very big column and syndicated the newspaper, uh, I managed to get him interested. And uh he wrote you know, he he smuggled in a reporter uh, and I I got him cleared. <laughs> I didn't say he was working for Jack Anderson, uh, but you know, I got him cleared to see what you know, so I told the guys uh, you know to let them know let him know what was going on because murders was were happening i think at that they had 13 murders in that prison and there was just so much going on it was it was really a scary place at that point it was a scary place anyway but but uh, they were always good to me because they knew I, you know, I'm someone from the outside that uh, I think if anybody looked at me the wrong way, God knows what would have happened with them. So my friends would say, aren't you afraid? I'm like, no. <laughs> but Because uh, they weren't dangerous to me.
2: Well, the the, the uh, authorities, the people in charge of the prison were more dangerous than the inmates.
3: Yeah, I mean, with the Korean, and I happen to be such a law-abiding person. I am such a, a, a you know, the police, we, whatever we're paying these people, they don't do enough. You know, what I'm saying I happen to be a strong supporter of the police and fire department. So uh, it was just, but this was a different breed at that time. Who knows? Maybe it's different. It's been years, but but uh, at that time, they had all these murders were going on in Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. So and here I am, barred. I can't get in. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try and get somebody, you know, political involved. And I knew the people in Atlanta. You know, it wasn't as big a city then. And so I knew Weich Fowler, who was our congressman, and, and Sam Nunn, and, and Elliot Levitas. These were our congressmen and senators. And so I went to, to Weich, who I knew, and he was you know, a U.S. senator. And I tried to get him involved. And the next thing, he got a warden checking out the warden. And I said, that's like the fox checking out the hen house.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, it was a total, total waste, as far as I was concerned, of, of uh, not helping and the next thing I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, he's not doing a lot, then I'm going to try something else. And, uh, I got Sam Nunn. Well, Elliot Levitis, actually, there's a whole section there about Elliot Levitis, who was a wonderful, wonderful, uh, uh, congressman that we had. And, uh, you, you know, U.S. And Elliot put me with Sam Nunn. And, uh, you know, I, I start to tell them what was going on. And, before I knew what happened, and then and then I would come home, and the men were—I were, think they were raping the the warden's files. I come home every day, and there's a pile of folders in my in my carport. You know, mysteriously things would appear.
2: Yes, that the men. So even though, let me just clarify this. So even though you weren't you personally weren't allowed into the prison anymore, right? You would have—you um, were still organizing the guests that would go in. You still did that for the men, and you would have these guests uh or the ones that you were your friends or the ones that you could sort of count on bring in stuffed letters in their blouses <laughs> that you wrote to the men so you were still communicating with the men which kind of boggles my mind because um I, I mean,
3: obviously, I guess the, they didn't read them when... I didn't, even, no, I didn't even have to have letters sent in I mean, the people that I sent in, you know, would, would sit there and, and relay what was going on yes, and stuff. but I mean, and that was when really there were
2: would, not people in the room who were the authorities, but... but you know, well, The people in
3: the room were not the authorities, but sometimes I'm saying, the, you, I mean, the people... Well, uh, you know, Look, we, that, we would have the program. It would be the guys that no, were, you know, were there in, the, in the group. Yes, but you and, wrote and that the, sometimes the
2: people, the authorities, did kind of peek in to see what was going on. Right. So um, I was just thinking was that it was amazing that this this two-way communication wasn't discovered after, for for a long well, time. You would,
3: you would not believe what goes on. And what finally what finally did, it was the fact that I knew, uh, you know, I, I had an idea, this is like right Right before I totally got you before know, Julian Bond, and and I wanted to have a, a Passover Seder, and I went to the warden and I you know I, I told them I said listen you've got Christmas dinner, you've got Easter dinner, and, you know all these you know Good Friday things and stuff. Uh, I I want the men to have a uh, a kosher dinner. I mean you know I, I went right the kosher I said I want them to have a Passover Seder. And the answer I got basically back was, that you know, we ain't got no money for no Jew food. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I looked at him and I said, listen, uh, and I knew Rabbi Kahana, who was another, that's another story. But anyhow, Rabbi Kahana was the guy that was murdered by the man that murdered the, uh, I mean, by the man that did the First World Trade Center that they let out. Mm-hmm. And... uh he was an inmate in a prison up in, up in, uh, Dan, well, not Danbury, but anyhow, I think it was maybe Danbury, but one of the other prisons. And I told the warden, I said, listen, I said, Rabbi Merkahana is a rabbi, and food was sent into him because he's Orthodox. And the precedent was started. I said, now if, if you don't let my men have it, I'm going to make an injunction. And, uh, because the precedent was started, and if they had, you know, the food for, for, um you know, the Christmas dinners and things like that. And if Rabbi Kahana had his kosher food brought in, then my men were entitled. Mm-hmm. Well, the the men loved that because it had opened it up for Ramadan and everything else. Mm-hmm. I and mean, they had a whole can of worms there, which I didn't even know what Muslim was in those days. You know, we're talking 1975. I mean, the country really had just a few thousand Muslims in those days. I mean, we didn't even know what they. You know, back to think back, people in 1975, who knew what it. You know, what it was. And so, the men started to come into my group. You know, before or before, before this happened too, and and uh, they had like uh, you know this little book under their hand, you know, arms of Koran they were carrying, and little knitted skull caps, and they're telling me, you know, that they're Muslims. Well, you know, then then they, then they called it Nation of Islam. And I had no clue. I'm thinking, well, that's nice. You know, it's peaceful. They won't kill each other. When all these murders were going on, I'm thinking they won't kill each other downstairs. And it is a good thing. I didn't know until, really, until it hit me years later one day that, you know, I mean, you said, why didn't I write more about the Muslim influence? Well, this book wasn't the one to do it. That may go into another one. But, I had no clue until not that long ago that my group or my you know my experience was the incubation period. I mean, today you have thousands and thousands of inmates, you know, in our our taxpayer dollars in the you know in the institutions training, training the inmates in yeah, in, in, in absolutely. what absolutely to, to to become terrorists, right? Um, yeah, training in terrorism. So, so I think my, my 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 program eventually ended up as terrorism 101 of
2: something.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to take another break.
2: There's so you know this book is fabulous. I mean, I I
3: I really couldn't put it down. Um, well, my next well, my next one is going to be about my inmate. I mean, my inmate about my celebrity interview show. <laughs>
2: celebrity inmate. <laughs> Well, well, let's we'll finish up more with where this um, this activism got to in the end uh, when we come back. And one thing I just want to quickly clarify is that I, because I don't think people I, you had inmates sending you, they were allowed, and I don't know how that happened because I've been involved, you know, as an expert witness with a lot of inmates, and I don't. I guess maybe in those days they weren't as as uh, they didn't survey what went out as carefully, but. Um, you had packages and packages being sent by the inmates of documents that they found in the prison that would support all of this corruption. So I just oh, want to make I sure see, that I, that can that still,
3: was... have, I can still have boxes with some of those <laughs> things.
2: I just want to make sure that that part was clear. We'll come back to you. We have to take a break. My guest is Arlene Peck. She's the author of Prison Cheerleader: How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
6: Easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests. Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school and youth teams, coaches and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time right here on America's Voice Voice America.
4: Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough.
0: Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal.
4: Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid.
0: Yeah, well, why'd you do it?
4: Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me.
6: This is real. I I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council
2: talking with prison cheerleader Arlene Peck, the author of Prison Cheerleader, How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right. And, of course, we're just giving you um, the highlights of this book. You're going to have to go and, and uh, buy a copy for yourself. It's, it's just fascinating, the details of all these things that went on with real people. This isn't a a murder mystery. You know, this is, <laughs> this is a real story, what really happened in the 1970s. I mean, it's historical. And... <laughs> at the same time. Um, so why don't you just take us fast forward to all of these, um, you know, you started making trouble. Basically, after they kicked you out of the prison because they thought you were making too much trouble there, trying to do good for the prisoners, um, you then really started making and the trouble. <laughs> yes, yes, and the taxpayers. Then you really started tr- making trouble, wanting to get the attention of um, Congress, to all the corruption that was going on in the prison, so so fast forward us to that.
3: Well, Sam Nunn was a doll, and Sam Nunn when, once he got involved, things started to move. And he, in fact, I think that's what made him the head of the Senate Subcommittee on Organized Crime. I don't remember that years ago, but uh, Sam Nunn, uh, they, they formed this, you know, the Senate Subcommittee on Organized Crime, and I, I would open the door, and there's you know, people from uh, the Senate Subcommittee coming to interview me. Uh-huh. And uh, and you were showing
2: them all these boxes and boxes of yeah, documents. Yeah, I, I
3: tell you the truth, I was happy to get rid of it because I'm thinking, oh my god, what am I? You know, who's going? To, someone's going to kill me with this stuff. So yes. I I just wanted to get it into somebody's hands in the press. And in the press, were uh, at that point, uh, you know, I'd be on one phone with people from the Senate subcommittee, and the other phone would be uh, one of the TV stations in Atlanta uh-huh. calling. And uh, you know, they 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 got. You know, they got to it. And the, the bottom line of this whole thing was uh, the prison got closed.
2: <laughs> all because of some tomato plants.
3: <laughs> yeah, all because of my tomato plants. I was yes. they would have just let me go in there and bring my tomato plants and give me a resident <laughs> rabbi every now and then. I probably would have would have been quiet, but that's not my nature anyhow. In fact, if you want, I've, I've written so much, and you've talked about Islam. Uh, if you just click on my name, Arlene Peck, and that's the topic of another story, why I'm banned on Google. Well, let's not go to that. No, but you could go Arlene Peck, Google ban. you will see thousands of sites. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's your,
2: uh, I guess that's your M.O., You get you get banned from one place after the other, but... Um, because of all this information that these inmates, who you, whose whose trust you had garnered after after doing all of this good stuff for them for all these years and showing them that really you you know you had this uh, caring in your heart and so on, they rewarded your tr- your, your your do-gooding. Um, by, by giving you their trust and, and sending all this information to you, which you were then able to channel out to the media, to the Congress, and so on, which allowed them to then investigate the prison right, and to right. find all of these um, inc- countless instances of, of corruption. And, and at that time, the murders, as you said, were going on and continuing. And, and so more and more attention started being paid to this, uh, maximum security prison and to the people who were running the prison. And that's when, you know, all hell broke loose and that's when they decided to close. At first, they were blaming it on the, the building itself, but then that's when all hell broke loose that they realized that this place was just too corrupt to keep on functioning.
3: I think they ended up housing the Haitians that were coming in in it or something. I think this is a marvelous topic. You, you suggested me about getting a movie made out of it. So if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> that that wants to produce a movie... Uh, you know, I've got I've got plenty of uh, input to give on this topic. And... Yes, I think it
2: I think it would make a fabulous movie because, as I said at the beginning, I was so impressed with with all the details that you had about each of these men who are really um, uh, infamous people. Uh, you know who who. Yeah, it's been the graduate
3: really... school of, of maximum security prisons. I mean, they they really they weren't they weren't good guys. Most of them.
2: And yet, and yet, they did have this sort of soft side that you kind of point out as well. The the contrast between you you talk about how uh, you would think that this person was a nice little guy, and then you'd find out what he was in you, you that Ripper. prison for.
3: That's where I was. I wasn't even sure if I could know. You know, I, I wanted to know what some of these what these people did because I don't think you know I, it, it wasn't someone like a a child, you know, a pedophile or something like that. He he could burn in hell. As far as I was concerned, uh, I didn't. I, as far as I knew, I never had. It didn't have people like that. They had the people that were the big extortionists and and you know drug traffic things like those kind of people. Uh, but even that, if if I had known what a lot of them did. I, I'm I'm not sure I could have gone in there. But I totally went in there as an innocent, and not as a do gooder. Uh, just because I found it terribly, terribly interesting. And the next thing I kind of got you know caught up in it and then I was hooked but but uh, uh does it make me a liberal
2: well now <laughs> I ha- one thing I was thinking of as I was reading this was um are you af- it took you a lot of years to finally uh publish this and are you afraid because you do name names not only of these prisoners um some of whom are still alive uh and and you you know talk about um, things that other people wouldn't know about them,
3: and, yeah, I, have, and I have the proof. And I also these, these people, the people I do mention freely, maybe, uh, and I didn't say anything so terrible about it. But but it's true, and I was told if everything that was said was true.
2: Yes. Yes, then, it's not uh, libel.
3: Yes, it may not be a can of worms they want to open up either, because I do have have proof of everything, and it did happen.
2: Yes, and and you also nothing I made up. Not just the prisoners, but you also talk about, you know, these various congressmen, and, and um, oh, and there's our well, well, so we're running out of time, and I guess <laughs> while Arlene is still alive, if you uh, have any, if you want to contact her about about um,
3: uh, turning
2: this into a movie, you can go to her website arlenepeck.com. You can find right, her all just, over the all you over just the, go to the Arlene internet
3: Peck, too. You, if you just Click on Arlene Peck. You'll see a couple hundred thousand sites will come up. Yes. With my and writing, and
2: you can buy the book at Amazon.com. So again, the name of the book is Prison Cheerleader: How a Nice Jewish Girl. At Borders
3: and Barnes and Noble too.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Borders, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Uh, Prison Cheerleader: How a Nice Jewish Girl Went Wrong Doing Right, and we just hit some of the highlights. But but really, we weren't able to talk about all the you know the details of any of these uh, criminals and so on. It really makes fascinating reading because it's all true. So, Arlene, thank you very much. I hope and I bet that some, uh, some, <laughs> someone with foresight, some producer with foresight, will gobble this up and call you. So thanks very much for, uh, for being a prison cheerleader and an activist. and well, Thank uh, you for for so being much on for having
3: me. It, it was a pleasure.
2: You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host.